This is the Laravel News Podcast, your one-stop podcast to find out about Laravel-related news, tutorials, packages, and more. Here are your hosts, Jake Bennett and Michael Dorenda. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to episode 188 of the Laravel News Podcast. Today's date is... March 28th. As requested last time, we are going to start adding the date. So there you have it. March 28th, 2023 is the date today. Thanks so much for hanging out with us today. I am in Virginia on uh, my in-laws porch recording (laughs) at 10 o'clock Eastern time. So I'm all wacky out of sorts. But I was told Michael as I was running out the door to leave on our trip, for spring break for the kids. I was like, oh no, I forgot my stuff. Like we have to record this week. <laughs> and so I went back in, grabbed grabbed all the equipment and ran back out. So we're making do. So I've got a little tiny, you know, set of uh, you know, outdoor furniture I'm sitting on with a desk that's like at my knees, and we're just gonna make it work. It's gonna happen today. We're making it happen. So. Well, at least it's not freezing cold, <laughs> so that's something. Exactly. That is true. That is true. Like a four seasons room outside. And it's, <laughs> it's uh it's pretty decent weather, so it's not too bad. Not too bad. Well, anyway, hey, wanted to give a quick shout out to Honey Badger. Thanks so much again for sponsoring the show. Honey Badger is for all of your error tracking and monitoring needs. They're amazing. They've been sponsoring the show for a really long time. So check them out at honeybadger.io. We'll be talking about them a little bit later. But for now, quick mention of Michael's Sully hair. Uh, And by Sully, I mean Sully from Monsters, Inc. So if you imagine the blue color with his little purple dots, that is... Michael's hair today. And it looks amazing. And once you said that, I was like spot on. That is a perfect analogy. And we will include a picture in the show notes of Michael posing with this little Sully doll. It's it's pretty hilarious. Looks great. Yeah, I'll get it. I'll get it in. Who was the one who first Yeah, who was the one who first said that? Uh it was one of one of the people I work with. They just looked at me and they're like Good observation. Sully. Okay. Yeah, I can say that. I'll I'll allow it. So funny. Love it. Okay, so we've got Laravel 10.4. Let's start with that. Okay, so Laravel 10.4. The Laravel team released 10.4 with a file JSON method. Converting existing has many relationships to a has one relationship and a new test response assertion to more. So let's get started. Austin White contributed a file JSON method. And this is a convenience for getting JSON encoded data from a file. I do this all the time, by the way, where I load in a fixture. Right. And very often what I do is I put this as a method on my base test class and has something called like load fixture data. Uh, so before what you'd have to do is you'd have to do file, get, grab the storage location, throw the sample JSON dot in there. And then you'd have to JSON decode those values and then put true as the second argument to make sure you're serializing it to a, uh, is it an object is the second argument? If you say true is object or is an array? Is uh, array. Is array. Okay. So the second argument says, yeah, make it an array. But now all you have to do is file colon colon JSON, and it'll do that JSON decode with that true as the second argument for you. So file colon colon JSON, pass in the string where the JSON is located. And there you have it. There you have a JSON method on the file class. So that's good. Thank you, Austin White. And assert unsupported media type. So Shamimul Alayam contributed an assertion helper for the 415 unsupported media type response status code. So this would be in the case that uh, actually, interestingly enough, also related to the file uh, sort of class. If you have a upload that you are, uh, you have an endpoint where you allow uploads and you are validating the different types or the different extensions that you are allowing a piece of uploaded 
data to be. So if you're only allowing text files and CSV files, uh, if it was not one of those, you would return this 415 unsupported media type response status code. And so now we have this assertion helper, which instead of having to say response, assert status code, and then say 415, you can just say response, assert unsupported media type. And so this is just some little syntactic sugar on top of on top of that for you. Luke Kuzmish contributed converting a has many to a has one and a morph many to a morph one. So here's an example. They have a user that has a uh, relationship called logins and then a relationship called latest login. So you have a the logins relationship, which has many login uh, models. And then you have latest login, which is a has one login model. And so it's the same sort of relationship, but the latest just grabs the the latest of many is, is how that's uh, done. You use the same exact thing. It's just used at the very end, you use latest of many. So with this PR now, you can do the following instead with the one method. So you say logins has many. So just like you had before. And then you say for the latest login, you say this, and then you just reference mm-hmm. the previous relationship logins one latest of many. So um, it converts that has many relationship to a has one relationship, mm-hmm. which instead of co- returning a collection, will just return a single value. Because if you have like a has many relationship, even if there's only one value on there, what it will do is it'll return a collection. Then you have to grab the first value off of that. Yeah. Um, so with a has one relationship, it just returns the actual element if in fact it exists or a null instead of like an empty collection. So that's cool. Yeah, I think the the main takeaway here, which should become clear when you when you look at the the show mm-hmm. notes, is that you don't have to redefine the class that you're relating to and the IDs and all of that. You can you can reference the has many directly. Um, so you've got logins is the has many, and your latest login is just referencing back to that original definition. So if you ever change what that definition is for whatever that's reason, a good point. Yeah. you don't have yep, to that's you know, update that is, it in two I think places. You're right. That is so probably the really main nice. takeaway here, not having to redefine that relationship. Okay. We also have this create macroable method for pagination information. Franz Slavenkorn contributed the ability to define a macro for the pagination information. And this allows custom, uh, customizing the pagination information without having to extend every single resource as a base resource. So pagination information is a uh, public function that is available on the resource collection, the JSON resource collection. But now you can just create this. Uh, you could create like a mix-in or like a, uh, a trait or something like that, it looks like. And you have a public function pagination information so that you can modify that um, and just extend all of your, or well, maybe not extend. I'm not sure I understand this one. Um, what it looks, it almost looks like to me, like if you put a, is it that if you put a method on a base class or something called pagination information, the JSON resource will pick that up if you do that. So you can put it on a base class. You could have everything extend a base class. You could put it on a put it on a resource by itself, or you can do kind of how we just define macros. So you know if makes it maybe this is making it a macroable uh, function or something like that. So you can override the default information and in service provider or something like that. It it enables it to be macroable. Yeah. Yeah, looking so so looking at the pull request, it, it looks like they've added the ability to macro it, where previously it would it would look for a a method that exists on the resource. So I think the the crux of this is 
trying to prevent having to duplicate that yeah, pagination sure. information method into every resource. Via five different methods, right? A trait or a base class or a whatever, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So so why why you would necessarily do it as a macro or a mix in versus doing it as a base class. I, I like I don't know the thought process behind that. The only reason is a package maybe. Maybe a package or something like that. Because you could load that in with a service right. provider. Yeah, possibly. So you could so I think it's just giving you more options with, with which to do it. And also for me, and I, the macroable sort of thing is typically for not overriding a, a method that exists on a base class or, you know, on something, right? Typically it's for implementing a new functionality. And so when it says macro, it's yeah. sort of... Yeah, so the, the way that this works worked previous to this pull request was that it would check to see if the method yeah, sure. exist, existed on, mm-hmm. on the resource. Now you can define that as a macro or as a mix-in. And that way you don't have to basically have that overhead of a, of a base yeah. resource that yeah. you extend from. Um, and then you have, to, you, know, you have to maintain your stubs and all that kind of stuff to make sure that you're always doing it. So it's just another way of injecting that okay. same functionality into, into your resources. I knew we'd figure it out eventually. Well, yeah. that's, that's the last one we have here on the <laughs> uh, 10.4 release. So that's it. Thank you so much for writing that one up, Mr. Paul Redmond, everyone's favorite human. Let's move on. All right. On to the news. And first of all, Valet version 4 is officially released. Congratulations. Let's Where to go? Have a look. Congratulations to, I know Tons Matt spent a lot of time, Matt Stauffer spent a lot of time refactoring and getting the code base kind of back to more like the V2 state where it was maintainable. Lots of stuff had been added over the past couple, or over version 3 to you know extend to make it extendable and to add new features and a lot of, but when you have lots of different people adding to an open source package you kind of not necessarily lose the intent of the package but you kind of lose the voice or the language you know how it's put together and and the way that it's done so you know the original version came out in May 2016 to much fanfare with an incredible video that that Adam put together um, Valet version two was released soon after, which swapped from Caddy as the, the the server that was being used to serve Valet to Nginx. And after that, um, you know, development slowed. Taylor had pointed out, you know, it's it's a feature complete thing. It does what Taylor had intended to do with it. And then Matt Stauffer picked up the maintenance of it a little while after that. And there was a few things that he had noticed. First, that many people needed different versions of PHP for different sites. And second, miscellaneous features and bug fixes addressed over the years made the codebase a bit difficult to reason with at times. So, um, you know, for Taylor's purpose, he's generally always on the latest version of PHP. He's always trying to drive the framework forward, the features forward and all that kind of stuff. So it makes sense from his perspective that it always runs the latest version of PHP. It's only ever doing that version, feature complete. But for lots of developers, you're working on projects that are across different versions of PHP. You need to revisit an old project. And in order to get it to a modern version of PHP, you need to first be able to run it in an older version of PHP and things like that. So last year, this time last year, Valet V3 was released with the primary focus of adding the support for multiple versions of PHP running in parallel on the same machine. And now this year, looking at version four. So the most important change in version four is something that you can't see from the outside as from a consumer's perspective, but the internals of the project have been re-architected and tested heavily. They've been re-architected back toward the style of simplicity of the original code, 
but they're now covered with all forms of unit and integration tests and the changes that are made since version 2 are much better integrated. So this basically means that Valet version 4 is the most stable, easy to bug, to easy to debug and easy to fix version of Valet yet. There's also new features. There's a new Valet status command where you get a table of the health of a few important aspects of your Valet application, which is helpful both because you can use it when you're debugging, but also like any good CLI tool, it'll also return codes for success or failure that other other command line tools can consume. It upgrades NGROC. So if you use NGROC to share sites, older versions of, of Valet bundled NGROC as an install. Valet will now prompt you to install NGROC through Homebrew, allowing you to keep uh, or allowing you to have one universal version installed rather than installing its own version. And it allows you to keep it up to date whenever you see fit. And we've also added Expose as a share option. If you use Expose, which is a project from Beyond Code to share your sites, it's now integrated directly into Valet. You can run Valet Share Tool Expose. And if you don't have it installed, it'll prompt you to install and you can use your um, set up your Expose token and get ready to share your site using Expose with the same Valet Share command that you're already familiar with. Um, if you're wanting to upgrade, edit your, your global composer.json file to version 4, run a composer global update, and then run Valet install. And make sure you do that bit as it's going to check your system's compatibility and ups- upgrade some configuration files for you. But we've also got custom drivers. You'll need to update your Valet PHP RC file. It's backwards compatible. Uh, whilst Valet 4 itself requires PHP 8 installed on your system via Homebrew, it will support PHP all the way back to version 7.1 for sites that That's it super serves. super nice, actually. Really, really nice. Yeah, especially we've got one application that's on PHP 7.2, which is a whole kettle of fish that is a tale for another day and another podcast. But we are, I've just got our 8.1 branch passing in CI. So we're getting very close to being up to date. So to sort of there. <laughs> now, back to Valet 4. If you are using Valet 4 on and your primary linked version of PHP is lower than PHP 8, all of your local Valet commands will run a bit more slowly um, as they have to find your modern PHP version and proxy calls through it. So that's something to keep in mind if you're not on PHP 8. But but that's it. The, the primary goal of Valet version 4 is stability and also opens up some great new options for the future. The Valet RC file is much more powerful than the old Valet PHP RC file was, and we can ma- make that a lot more configurable. Um, the concept of extensions has been dropped that was basically entirely unused and um, with the hope of building a new plugin system sometime in the future. And if you've been following along with Matt's journey of rebuilding Valet for V4 on Twitter, you might have seen that he attempted to make it work on Linux. Unfortunately, that was unsuccessful, but he still has dreams of one day attempting it again. No promises, but the dream is not dead just yet. So um, go ahead and update your Valet installations yeah, I did it on happy. the first day that Valet 4 was out, and I've had no problems. So I just did the very simple uh, recommended steps of uh, Composer, um, you know, updating my Composer, you know, Global Composer JSON file to use Valet 4.0, and then ran Valet install. And, or sorry, then did Composer Global Update, and then did ran Valet install, and it worked fine, like immediately. So upgrade path, really, really simple. And uh, of course, different people who are using different tools will probably have uh, different experiences. If you're like a power user and you had some of those .valet PHP RC files, you know, that, I'm sure that your path will be a little bit different, but overall, a great job uh, by the team making this work. Okay. 
Also in the news, we've got another released, Pest.2. Sorry, Pest.2. Pest 2.0 is now released. So what is Pest, you might say? Pest is a uh, testing framework built on top of PHP unit. And you might be asking yourself as well, like, why why do we keep doing this? Like, why does Expose exist? Doesn't NGROC already exist, right? Can't you already do this? And and why does Pest exist? Don't don't we already have PHP unit? Like, why do people got to keep reinventing this stuff? And the reason why, I think, is because we have to wait on the uh, you know the governing bodies of those things to move forward with a feature that we might want in something like that today, right? So this is exactly the, the case with, with Pest. So Nuno said, hey, there's some really nice convenience things I would like to make available for myself when I'm doing some testing. And so I'm just going to make this little micro framework Pest that's going to sit on top of PHP unit. And that was the very humble beginning of it. And then people got really excited about it. And so now... We've gone through version one and with over 500 commits after version one in a development period of 18 months, this new release is finally out. So there's an announcement post. They had a cool like little video. There is a Laracast series coming, a Laracast Pest.0 series coming out. And then uh, there's also a long video on Nuno introducing this at Laracon India 2023. Um, And so all the new features that are in it with uh, some of the biggest ones, or one of the biggest ones was this powerful architecture plugin. And what this allows you to do is to define some rules for how you're going to uh, set up your application and then test to make sure that those architectural rules of uh, that you've set up are followed. Um, there's, so I'm not going to go through and explain that right now. The, 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 uh, talk does a great job explaining that, but some of the other things that you would be interested in probably are up to 60% speed improvements when you're using the dash dash parallel option when doing your testing, they fully rewrote the parallel core, uh, so that you can get much faster run times, which is always uh, beneficial. You have a profile option to identify your slowest tests so that you have an opportunity to then optimize the execution times on those tests. This is something that we also struggle with, where we have a 8, 10, 15-minute test suite, and you're like, what is taking so long? So with this, you can just profile the tests, find the slowest ones, and start from the slowest ones and start working towards uh, making a little bit more efficient test runs. You have a compact printer, which is a minimal printer that only outputs information about test failures. You can uh, pass a retry option, retry option, which will only run your previously unsuccessful tests. You have a dirty option that will only run tests that have uncommitted changes. You have a bail option that will stop running the test suite when it encounters it first, its first error. There's also this really interesting to-do method. And what this will do is it allows you to sort of, not stub out, but sort of like stake out what you want to test eventually. Uh, as you're going through the code, maybe you don't necessarily want to write the test right now, but you remember like, oh, that's interesting. That's something I'm going to have to write a test for. I, I'm not going to I'm not going to jump out to the test right now and do it because I'm kind of on a roll. So I'm, I'm just going to give myself a to do here over in the tests. And so this to do method allows you to create to do's within your test suite. You have expectation interceptors and pipes, which allow you to tell your expectations to fit your specific testing needs. So you can think, uh, I think, almost like custom assertions. Uh, is the idea here. And then you have scoped data sets. So if you have data sets that you're running through your different test methods, you you can now scope these to pertain only to specific features or sets of folders. And then there's more stuff as well that's not mentioned in this uh, in here, but there's an upgrade guide out there um, and an installation guide, of course, for anything that you want to use this in a new project for. So uh, check that out. If that's something you're interested in. Very, very cool stuff. Thanks, Paul, for writing this one up. And thanks, Nuno, for Pest 2.0. Nice.
Um, I I did actually. People people say that you know, which do I use, Pest or PHP Unit? Entirely up to you. I installed it into our main mm-hmm. app at work. Just compose the require Pest, and then I ran vendor bin Pest, and our test suite just mm-hmm. ran. That's pretty cool. Exactly the same as it did with PHP Unit. So it's it is a it is a subset of PHP Unit that you know if your tests are still in the set. old style, a superset, whichever. I always get sub and super. Whichever one it is. I don't know. It's that I, I'm saying that. I'm going to look it up. You keep talking. I'm going to look it up. So um, if, you've, if you've ever sort of wanted to, to use PEST, but you've kind of been hamstrung by the fact that you've got this existing test suite and you don't want to move it, two things. Number one, you don't have to move it all at once. You could use your existing PHP unit test exactly as they are and draw a line in the sand and say, I'm just going to move the nuance to PEST and everything from X date forward is going to use PEST. Or number two, you can use Laravel Shift and it'll do it all for you. So there are your options. But if you want to get started, you don't have to, you know, break your existing testing infrastructure to do it. So definitely, definitely excited to give it a go, um, especially with some of the, the speed and performance improvements that, that are part of it. All right. The Laravel team have added opt-in TypeScript support to the Laravel Breeze starter kit. You can configure TypeScript through the interactive prompts when running um, PHP Artisan Breeze install, which will then ask you um, the usual things. Which stack would you like to install? Would you like to install dark mode support? Would you like to enable experimental TypeScript support? Okay. Or you can use the dash dash TypeScript flag and it will get that all set up for you. There's also a video introduction to this feature that Nuno has put together. Um, so the, the Laravel team are back to releasing weekly updates for all the new features that they're shipping in each week. But thanks to Jess Archer who added the opt-in TypeScript support to the Breeze package. Very nice. Uh, so essentially, I guess what this does is this allows you to pass types to your front-end JavaScript stuff, right? So that you can, if you're using, yeah, that's it. That's what it is. For those of you who are wondering, what is that? Why are we doing that? It's just so you get the nice type safety things uh, in the JavaScript land on the front side if you're using Breeze. Okay, we have got this long-awaited course that has been teased out there for quite some time by Aaron Francis, which is called MySQL for Developers. This went live as of March 21st. So the good news about this is this course is completely free, uh, which is quite amazing. Uh, It's essentially being sponsored by PlanetScale, which is the company that Aaron is working for right now. But it's a seven-hour and uh, seven-hour, sixty-four video course with everything the developer needs to know about MySQL. So you can think of this as like a three hundred level class in college that you would just get for free, essentially, right? Seven hours long, four different sections uh, broken up into schema, indexes, queries, and examples. So this is pretty incredible, and I think I'm going to uh, probably set time aside each week for our development team to go through at least an hour of these videos and take some notes. I think it will be well worth it and very beneficial. Um, It doesn't require previous database experience. It starts with the beginner in mind uh, to intermediate level space and then talks about what makes an effective and efficient table. That's the schema side. What is an index? How does this work? Aaron talked about this during Laracon Online last year, last spring, which was really awesome. Or last summer, maybe it was. Um, What is an index and how does it work? What are some limitations? When can you and can't you do an index? How do you know which index is getting hit? Uh, what's going to prevent an index from getting hit? Uh, querying, writing efficient and effective queries, and then putting it all together. These are examples for application developers. So 
if you haven't had the pleasure of learning from Aaron's incredible talks uh, and tutorials and videos and content and blog posts, don't pass up the opportunity to take a look at these uh, videos. They're going to be pretty awesome. And again, it's mm. it's totally free. So why wouldn't you? Uh, so I would highly recommend having yourself yeah. or your team or anybody else you know that has to work with the database, i.e. everyone, uh, give this a look and give Aaron a shout out and say thanks to PlanetScale for uh, sponsoring this basically and providing it to all of us for free. Yeah, I just uh, I just started the queries section this morning. How was it? Um, just just been working through it. It's 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 very well produced. The content is very thorough, and it's very easy to digest. Um, it, it's basically like sitting down with your best friend and having them explain this stuff to you. It's it's you know it's it's a one on one tutoring session essentially, and and there are things that like I've known but that I've actually learned now, for example, the explain statements. I use explain statements all the time and I, I know enough and, and Aaron kind of touches on this. If you get it, you know, that's enough to get you most of the way in terms of database performance and efficient queries and stuff like that. So I've, I've known my way around it enough to like not write terrible queries or to fix previously written terrible queries, but I haven't really understood necessarily all of the the things that that return in an explain statement. So he's finally, after you know almost twenty years of me being a developer, explained this to me in a way that I actually understand what's going on. And so I think a lot of people are going to get a lot of value out of this course. In you know, a lot of us use our ORMs and our migration tools. In, in Laravel, but also in Rails and Django and things like that. They've all got these similar tools. And so we kind of just let the ORM do the job for us. And for the most part, they will do the job well. And understanding how to write MySQL queries and how you can leverage that understanding with your ORM, with Eloquent, can just really help get your application to the next level. And so... You know, of of all the courses that I've bought and never watched over the years, this one, which was totally free, I'm just you know cruising through it at the moment, and it's it's a fantastic awesome. resource. So yeah, definitely thanks, check Aaron. it out. Uh, I know there's been a ton of work. If you looked at the Twitter post that he put out about this, he essentially bought every single MySQL book he could get his hands on, went through all of them, highlighted all the pieces, dog-eared every page that he thought was interesting, and then summarized it all into these seven hours. So, um, I mean, he spent hundreds of hours on this thing so that we could enjoy seven hours of free content, you know, summarizing all his learning. So great job. Stoked that it's finally released and stoked for Mm -hmm. him that it's done, you know? Yeah. Yep, definitely. And like, despite your best efforts in, in writing efficient queries, you can't always stop your code from having errors. And even code that is written by an amazing developer such as yourself might still have them. And when those errors happen, it's nice to know that Honey Badger has your back. Honey Badger makes you a DevOps hero by combining error, uptime, and check-in monitoring into a single, easy-to-use platform, and they'll send you alerts in real time with all the context needed to see what's causing the error and where it's hiding so you can quickly fix it and get on with your day. The included uptime and cron monitoring also lets you know when your external services are having issues or your background jobs go missing or silently fail. You can go to honeybadger.io and discover how Star, Josh, and Ben created a 100% bootstrap monitoring solution, which is important because by self-funding, it means they only answer to you, the developer, rather than a venture capital overlord. Thanks to Honey Badger for sponsoring the show. You can check them out at honeybadger.io. 
thank you very much, Honey Badger. Thanks, Michael. And um, speaking of errors in production, I actually have had this exact thing happen, not necessarily with queries, although plenty of times with queries, but this next uh, package that we're going to talk about, this specifically. So you release a blade template to production, and it's missing a variable or a method or a typo or something like that. You're trying to reference a value on a object that does not exist. Or you removed a property and forgot to uh, remove it from your blade file, whatever it might be. We now have the ability to do static analysis for Laravel blade templates, which is really, really incredible. I wanted to take a quick step back. I always want to make sure that just as Laravel documentation and so many of the Laravel community do, we always make sure to take time to explain some of what these things mean. So what is static analysis necessarily? I'm not going to do a great job explaining it, but all I'm going to say is this. Static analysis basically does the job of inspecting your code and making sure that the different parts of it are going to run correctly without you having to write a test for it. That's the basically the simplest way that I can explain it. If you have types that are defined inside of your PHP application, a tool called uh, PHP Stan which does static analysis for you over your PHP files. We'll go through those files and make sure that the different types are being respected and where they're being used. And we'll make sure that all those things are going to work together well. And if it doesn't, it's going to tell you before you ship that thing, right? Uh, so there is a version of PHP Stan that was also created by Nuno Maduro called Laristan, which basically is a Laravel flavored version of PHP Stan. So to give you a little bit easier uh, way to test some of the things that are the intricacies of how Laravel works. Laristan does that. And now this is an additional tool called Bladestan. And this has been created by the author of Rector. And so what this allows you to do is add static analysis for blade templates. So it will take a look through your blade templates and it will make sure that all the variables that are used in your blade templates are defined, have valid behavior, and are filled in before you ship this thing to production. So the way that this works is it will find all the view calls and then looks to see if those rendered variables inside of those view calls have valid behavior in the provided template. So for example, it'll check the template file path, ensure that, ensure that that file path actually exists, make sure that the, the view uh, blade file that you're referencing is there. It'll inspect all those variables. Uh, it'll render, render the template and then it'll review that template for any violation using your PHP stand setup. Um, so that's it. That's that's how it all works. And the warnings and things like that, they get returned in your tests are exactly like what you'd get from PHP Stan. And since this runs on top of PHP Stan, you can do the same things that you would do normally with PHP Stan. Like if this is your first time introducing this to your application, you can run PHP Stan and you can set like a baseline and say, I'm aware any any errors that are currently in the production app, I'm fine with like just ignore them for now. And let me just run PHP stand on anything that I'm moving forward with. This allows you to be able to ship it immediately and then be able to go back over time and fix errors that it's detecting. Uh, and you can, uh, sort, of course, set different levels of strictness mm -hmm. as well. I think there's zero, like zero through nine or one through nine or something like that. But that's, that's a nice way to do it because it allows you to essentially ship it immediately. You don't have to change anything. You can just bring it into your app, run it once, say, set the baseline, and then say anything moving forward I want to use this tool for. And so you could do that with Blade Stand as well. So very, very cool. Thank you to Thomas Vatruba. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we switched from Psalm to Laristan when we upgraded to Laravel 9. And it's just, Psalm is a really good tool, but Laristan just yeah. knows about Laravel right. deeply. And it, you know, it does things like if you reference 
a model or an eloquent relationship in like a with call in a query. Like if you do, you know, user colon colon with and you reference a relationship that doesn't exist, so it nice. will tell you about that. So, you know, it, it, it does do a lot more in-depth analysis of Laravel codebase and it's specifically tailored to it. So you know that it's going to keep up to date. Um, but going to those levels, you know, we started on level zero and there was like 280 errors that identified. So we fixed those and we went to level one and it was 280 errors and that was fine. And then we went to level two and it was oh 4,000 errors. And that was where I set the baseline <laughs> yeah. and I thought, out of sight, you sweep that under the rug and we'll not worry about that anymore. So um, there's there's certainly a, a ways to go there for us in terms of dealing with that. But I think the, the best path forward, as you say, is to set the baseline and say like, okay, you know, here's that line in the sand again. With like like I said with pest, like here's the line in the sand. Everything new must adhere to you know level whatever yep. you decide to be, whether that's five or eight or nine. You know if you want to go to the extreme, and then all of the new stuff is going to be up to date, and all the old stuff you can kind of just pretend, you know, acknowledge the you know the the just the baggage that comes with legacy code. Okay. Um, the the next package we have here is the ability to run one-time operations after deployment with Laravel. Now, we've spoken about this before where, you know, do you use a cedar to set right. your database state or does do you use a migration or do you use a migration that calls a cedar, you know, for these kind of operations that you need to do yeah. exactly one time and you want to make sure they happen exactly one time. So this package is the one-time operations package for Laravel to run code that should only be run once after deployment. With this package, you can create operation classes that can be executed automatically using a provided artisan command. And similar to migrations, they only get processed one time and then never run again. So this is useful for data transformation. Um, if you need to fetch something from a from a remote API and then you know synchronize that with your application, put it in the database somewhere, all of that kind of stuff that allows you to kind of like update specific data after deploying code, seeding data after migration, basically running anything that you need to do so that you don't forget. And and this, we have these seeders that sometimes will update the seeder to change or augment or add data. And and our seeders are written in an idempotent way so we can run them multiple times and always get the same results. But at the moment, if we want to run them, we have to remember to run yeah. them after the yep. deploy is done manually. So we could we could set up these um, one-time operation classes to basically call that cedar so that we know when we deploy this change, this cedar has to be run and then it will get done as part of that deployment and only that deployment and then no one has to remember to do it because it was codified as part of the, the whole sure. release process. And it, and it also provides the ability to test operations allowing you to run run them multiple times without flagging them as having been run. But it's a it's a really useful, you know, it kind of borrows that migrations behavior in terms of, you know, run it, flag it in the database yep. so it doesn't get run again. But it does open the door to to kind of get your application state into such a such a way without sort of muddying up what those migrations are, which really should only be for database and database state kind of thing. So definitely check this out. It's a very interesting project um, and one that I'll probably look to use at some point in the future. So we'll have links to all of that nice. in the show notes for you. Uh, I know that we have tutorials left here and we've got like one, two, three, four. Is there seven? Holy cow. That's crazy. Seven, seven different ones. So you usually buzz through these and you've read through them beforehand. So I'm going to let you go ahead and do that. So go ahead and do your thing, my friend. Go for it. 
Let's do it. All right. First off the list, we've got, this is an article from Paul Redman, which talks about five tips and tricks for working with a Laravel HTTP client. Goes through things like macros, configuring HTTP client for container services, using a portable base URL configuration that you can use between HTTP clients, preventing stray requests in tests, which is really helpful so that you don't accidentally send a request to a remote URL in test environments. Um, it will it will throw an exception for, for, for you if that happens by accident, which essentially means that you forgot to trap or fake a request going out. There's logging handlers for HTTP events as well, but we'll have links to that one in the show notes. As well from Paul, we have Laravel array helpers that every developer should know about. So Laravel comes with this uh, suite, this collection, this class, this ARR class that allows you to kind of, it, it gives you an object-oriented interface to a lot of the underlying array functionality that exists in PHP. Um, so we've got array join, key by, get, first, last, pluck. This goes into more detail if you want to learn a little bit more about that. Steve McDougall has a tutorial on passwordless authentication in Laravel. This is a, a fairly common thing. I always complain about it every time Notion makes me log in where I don't actually have a password. I type my email address and it will send an email. And then if that, you know, if that user exists, then it will give you a link to click here to then log into the platform. Um, so this, this is a tutorial that talks you through how to get that process set up within your own application. And also from Steve, we have a modeling business processes in Laravel. Um, mapping business processes to digital processes from sending an email into something that's like a lot more complex. We're going through this process at the moment of of transforming financial quoting tools from spreadsheets to business code, and I dread the thought of it. So I'm going to have a read through this article in greater detail to, to sort of look at his approach to, to how he might go through that because... I fear, I fear for my future going through this. Um, next up, we have an article, a guest article from Rob Fonseca, which talks about extending PHP 8.1 enums using attributes. So I'm sure if Daniel Colborn is listening to this, he will be all about this because he is all about attributes at the moment um, and talks about essentially using language features. So PHP 8.1, gain native support for enums, which are type-safe, readable, and efficient ways to encapsulate a small set of possible values that a field can take in your data bottle. And then using classes in your code instead of database enums provides you with more flexibility if you need to add to the list in future. If you go back to the MySQL for Developers course, Aaron talks about enums and why it may be a bit of a interesting proposition to use those. I tend to avoid them, essentially. But this talks about using attributes, which is a concept, a borrowed concept from other languages often called annotations, which is in a way to associate metadata to properties and methods and classes. Um, so definitely check that out if that is something of interest to you. Um, and two more that we have here from Steve. One is about using response classes in Laravel, which is really useful if you need to kind of send back a response to your application in a structured way, but you don't want to clutter up your controllers with all of that behavior and it doesn't quite fit into an eloquent resource where you, you know, you're returning a, an eloquent resource from a model. This allows you to kind of have a structured place to kind of contain all of that functionality in one location. So definitely check that out. Um, and the last one we have is a live stream that Steve did last week, which is building your first Laravel application. 
And sometimes, you know, we need to go back to basics. So looking back at building your first Laravel application is something that should not be overlooked. And the live stream goes through how to install and set up your Laravel application using Laravel Sale, and then how you can use routes and controllers to control the URLs and how they work, going through blade views and view components and looking how you can create your user interface and then looking at Eloquent, setting up models, model factories, database seeders, and then storing data in the database and creating some test data for application and using PestPHP so that from the beginning, you know that everything is going to work as you expect. Indeed. Nicely done. Some really good stuff in there. Um, the one with the HTTP client that you mentioned, the prevent stray requests, that's really, really cool. So in your base test class, uh, HTTP prevent stray requests, just make sure that every single request that you make in your uh, HTTP client has a fake request backing it up, which is really nice. I've never heard of that one before. So very cool. I agree with you on the PHP 8.1 enums with attributes. Um, the whole thing of attributes, maybe I'll come around to it at some point. Maybe. Um, the way that he's got this one set up, it's worth a read. Yeah. Kind of figuring out basically what he's saying is that if your enum has a case, which is like team admin using like camel case and then team admin using snake case as your value that's associated with it, you kind of need a third option which would be the words team administrator and there's no great way to do that in this enum and so what he does is he resorts to using attributes and so it's interesting i could see using it just because this is a relatively simple this is probably the simplest example of using attributes that i've seen and i've had this challenge before so maybe maybe i i've Mm -hmm. i've come up with different solutions for how i did it using non-attributes but I can understand why this, why you, why you would use this. So yeah, it's it's an interesting exercise yeah. anyway. Yeah, I'm I'm certainly in the school of no, I've never no done meta either, programming, but which is which is what yeah, which is what attributes are. I'm sure there's good for sure. good uses for it, but I haven't yeah, found Spassi one uses yet. Them sometimes they use them around. Yeah, quite a bit. Yeah, and their Laravel yeah. data package. So it's interesting. Mm-hmm. There's there's people out there using them effectively. It's another. It's just you know, it's another tool in the tool bag. And some people like to use them, some people don't. It's fine either way. So, you know, pick your flavor and go with it. For sure. Well, everybody, thanks so much for joining us. This has been episode 188 on March 28th of 2023. If you'd like to find show notes for this episode, you can find them at podcast.laravel-news.com slash 188. Sponsor for the show, honeybadger.io. Thanks again, Honey Badger, for sponsoring. If you'd like to leave us a comment, please do so in your podcatcher of choice and leave us a review. Five stars would be amazing. Hit us up on Twitter at Jacob Bennett, at Michael Dorinda, or at Laravel News if you have any questions or comments. All right, folks. Until next time, we'll see you later. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.